Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by HipstersOfTheCoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy. One last thing before I forget, because I promised to do this last week's episode and I forgot, uh, so I wanted to definitely make sure to get it in this week, uh, is on February 1st, if you're also in the Denver, Colorado area and can't make it out to leave the Legacy Open, uh, the Wizards Chess, as you covered, they're doing a uh, Legacy Tournament on February 1st, $25 entry uh, in the Denver, Colorado area, so... Uh, for our Midwestern dudes, check that out. Should be a fun event. Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of the Eternal Glory podcast. I am your host, Brian Cook. And with me today, we have our two new Cardboard Live Patreons, Gerald Meem and Patrick Uglow. I made it. I finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> we only had to pledge $40 a month to be on the cast. I'm so excited. Thanks for joining Man. me. I know when you were starting out the podcast and you asked me, you know, would I be a guest? Like, yeah, sure, I'd be a guest. And then, you know, just things never worked out. Like, I was always busy. You would forget to tell me when you were recording. And then when I would ask you when you're recording, you would say, oh, I'll tell you later. And then you would come up with an episode anyways. But the offer kept getting rescinded. Yeah, like say, like I got these messages saying like my contact information was blocked by the by the receiver and they didn't, you know, cease and desist letters. But, you know, against all odds, we finally made it happen. Sick. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm surprised the restraining order didn't give it away. Yeah, I don't know why Pat had to come with me as a condition by the courts. Like, they needed a witness or something. I knew when they served me papers, something was up. (laughs) Pat, let's be honest. It's not the first nor the last time that you'll be served papers on my behalf. For for sure. For sure. Are you two getting a divorce? (laughs) No, no. But, uh, Pat. We're getting divorced just so we can get married. Pat is listed as my next of kin on all of my legal documents. (laughs) I don't think that's a joke. <laughs> uh, I told you. I told you. What was a couple episodes, Pat? You're responsible for making sure my sneak and show deck gets buried with me. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. Yep. I'm definitely not going to pull all the foils. I'll leave the foils. I'll just. I'll take the. I'll leave the foils, but I'll just take the betas. The beta under the beta uh, uh, lands there. Or your FBB duel. I mean, aren't they all promos? This deck's got to be worth like three hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> It's not worth the it's not worth the cardboard it's printed on. <laughs> Today's been a crazy day. Uh, on top of the modern bannings, Mox Opal, Oko, and Mycosynth Lattice, but there was a bunch of baseball news today with the Astros, and Twitter's just been going wild today. I, I was actually surprised that uh, modern still exists. That's what I learned today. Yeah, I thought it was weird. Like, have they? Has there been like many modern? Ba- I don't pay attention to modern at all, but like it seemed like. That was a pretty heavy-handed banning. Do they even play, or do they even regulate modern that much? I, I feel like I haven't seen a modern banning in a while. Well, this weekend was Grand Prix, I believe it was mm-hmm. Austin, and seven out of the top eight decks were the uh, Bug oh, Oko deck. Yeah, I th- wait, I thought there was a bunch of uh, Tron Oko, or is that the same thing? Uh, I don't believe it's Tron Oko, but it might not have been Bug. I might have misspoke there, but there were seven different Oko decks in top eight. I know that Jeez. much. That seems bad. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Haven't really been following modern at all, especially since Pioneer came out. But I think people were really surprised that we didn't get any changes in Legacy. I think people were pretty disappointed about that. That's how it should have. been. Really, you don't think uh, Oko should have been banned? I think there's a lot of uh, kicking and screaming 
and not a lot of like logical thinking about this. And I understand that it's not a very popular opinion, but I'm supposed to be uh, the bad guy, I guess. <laughs> so the thing is, I feel like there's this new band heavy philosophy ever since uh, the banning of Sunsea's Divining Top. So what happened is somebody put a sign outside of Wizards. And all of a sudden, Wizards, like, the next week was like, all right, I guess we should finally ban Sensei's Divining Top. To be fair, though, that was, like, three years overdue. It is. But the thing is, once people realize that Wizards listens to them crying on the internet, people start doing it more I do agree with that. And I agreed with the death rate banning. And, like, Ren and Six, I thought it it was survivable. Like, I felt like with enough time, that card would have gone to a reasonable metagame chair. But... Like, when you're talking about Arkham's Astrolabe, come on. When you look at cards on the ban list, Astrolabe isn't even close to the power level of a lot of what's on there. Yeah, well, I think everyone kind of has their different, um, you know, scale of what makes a card bannable. And you can make a case for any of these cards depending on what scale you're using. Like, if you're just using numbers, um, Oko is bannable just because... Now Oko's in like twenty five percent of legacy decks. Oko is seeing more play than Delver of Secrets. Like I was shocked at that. Oko shows up in more lists than Del- Delver of Secrets in the metagame right now. Um, All right, I would like to make a counter argument okay. to that, Jerry, if that's okay. So if you look at the last three weeks of challenge results, Oko is at a low compared to the previous month or two. Right. So, I mean, that's bears showing like, you know, where that goes. But I mean, what my point, what I'm going with that is like, depending on what scale you want to use, you can make a case for any card being banned. And we don't really know what scale Wizards is operating on or if Wizards even has a set scale or they also change the scale depending on what card they're thinking about. Like with uh, Astrolabe, if you're talking about pure power level, it's not good enough to be banned. But as far as like what it does to, for the idea of magic and just like destroying the color pie, you know, I think it's bannable from that regard. It's not power level. It's just it creates unfun games and it, it kind of takes away a key part of magic that makes magic what it is. I mean, if you're going to make the color pie argument, I could counter with the fact that the color pie has been broken time and time yeah. again. Like, they gave green disenchant back in Onslaught, for example. They just printed a black card that can destroy enchantments. Like, the color pie doesn't actually matter. And I would argue that Arkham's Astrolabe is good for the growth of Legacy because people might need less dual lands in order to play because now they can play their three-color deck off of maybe two dual lands. Yeah, and I will say that. So my friend Dan, um, you know, he's always had a love-hate relationship with Legacy because he, like, is one of those people who just philosophically hates blue, doesn't like the idea of you needing to play blue to be competitive at Magic, so he'll always play the non-blue decks, and, you know, he doesn't have a lot of dual lands. He's always trying to go with, like, the one- or two-color decks, and he loves Astrolabe. And, you know, he was he took a long break from Legacy for a while. Astrolabe gets printed and this is a card that brought him back into the format and i guarantee you if astrolabe gets banned he's gonna go right back into his hole where he's like screw legacy i don't want to do this anymore pat what do you think you're pretty quiet over there (laughs) yeah i mean so i haven't been playing a ton of legacy lately i just my life's been too crazy with work and school and stuff um but uh i do agree with you brian that um the narrative since the sensei's top ban and the death right ban has been very much been the uh the vocal I'm gonna call them the minority because I, I wanna say that the most most people who play Legacy aren't uh, that active on Twitter. Um so vocal minority are the ones pushing for these bands and whether or not like that 
weighs heavily on what Wiz just decides to do. I'm not sure. It certainly doesn't. It certainly seems that way. But who? I mean, who knows? Like, there's, uh, I guess, some outside chance that the vocal minority is also has some insight into into what is actually the correct choice. Which I, I don't know if you can convince me of that or not. But maybe that's the case. Um, I don't love Astrolabe as a card. I think. Astrolabe probably has a lot of the same shortcomings, or a lot of does a lot of the same things that a card like Deathrite Deathrite Shaman did, um, where it encourages these soup decks, these you know best the best things in all five colors or four colors things with decks that I just don't find that to be that fun to to play against and aren't that great for the format. But that being said, like I haven't had a ton of reps against any of this stuff, so I can't say for sure like this is bad for the format. These need to go, and uh, I still I still struggle with the fact that that a three mana planeswalker is too that that doesn't do you know a three mana planeswalker is too good for the format it kind of like blows my mind a little bit but maybe that's also correct so i i I don't feel comfortable coming out and saying like oh this card is this card is warping the format this card is bad this needs to go but i do think that um you know uh the like you said the the kind of the the narrative since the sensei's top ban has sort of been you know the crying, the crying people on Twitter are the ones who are pushing for these bannings, and I, and I don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the right move is. I don't have a crystal ball, and I'm not super plugged in right now at the moment to say, you know, one way or the other. But I'll be interested to see what happens. I'm, um, I was very surprised to see so many bannings in modern, just because it seems like the format is kind of going the way of legacy, and you know, I always, I always I believe that the kind of the Wizards' approach to legacy is very much a hands off sort of thing they only come in when you know with the acts when they think they they have to uh i thought that modern would have a similar kind of uh story to it but i guess like you said with the with the gp this weekend uh i guess uh it kind of forced their hand a little bit there but i wouldn't be surprised if modern gets a very similar treatment to legacy uh in the next few years yeah i uh, touching on like whether oko power level like three mana planeswalker whether that warrants a ban um I, I think it's more just the fun like fun aspect of it. I feel mm-hmm. Oko's fun ratio is just not really there, and it kind of creates some really feel bad situations. Like you can be ahead, and your opponent slams an Oko, and now you've just lost the game in formats. You know, I've heard vintage players talk about that, where you know they thought they were winning their match, their opponent plays Oko, and all of a sudden the board state completely changes. And then other games where, um, you know, you're not ahead and your opponent slams an Oko and it just snowballs and the game never comes back to even mm-hmm. close to being heavy, you having a chance. Hey, Jerry, I feel the same way whenever anyone puts a Grossel brand in. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I was going to make that joke, too. <laughs> but So I was talking about this uh, on the Facebook group earlier today. It's like, you can be unfun or you can be uh, ubiquitous. You can't be both. If you are if you are unfun and ubiquitous, that's when you cross over into bannable territory. And I think if Grizzlebrand was seeing as much play as Oko is currently, then yeah, it would definitely be a conversation for Grizzlebrand to be banned. And this coming from someone who loves Grizzlebrand more than anyone else in the world. But I would say if Grizzlebrand was seeing the amount of play that Oko is currently seeing, then it would definitely be a conversation that you know maybe Grizzlebrand should be banned. 
but Oakland's been dropping off. That's yeah, and, and let's see where it goes. I'm not I'm not saying one thing or another. It's like, yeah, maybe Wizards is right to give Oku a little bit more time. But personally, I feel it was more marketing's decision to not ban Oku and Legacy than gameplay's decision. You know, I think that marketing is like, yeah, we have this card that's still in print. Uh, we can't ban it in every format. We have to give people some outlet to play this card until at least until we start stop printing this set. So the last two bannings have been Ren and Six and Death Ray Shaman. Is that correct? Uh, yes, for Legacy. So, both times that they were banned, they cited the match win percentage of these decks against the field. I believe that the numbers were both 57%. I don't think... Like, what's the most popular Oko deck right now? I would argue Four Color Miracles. That, and I don't think that, that deck or, has a win. Sorry, go ahead. That or Agrilome. agrolome has been putting up a ton of numbers. And the fact that, like, not blue dot deck is playing Splashing Blue for Oko... Like, I think that says some, you know, something of itself as well. But sorry, go on. So I would argue that Miracle's win percentage isn't that high. Like, it was really good the first, like, three weeks before people figured out how to beat it. And now, like, myself as a combo deck, I'm crushing Miracles. And it's because they're playing Oko. Like, there's always a way of beating the current strategy if you put enough thought into it. And you have to go over them if they're going to play a different way. And I felt that way during the the Ren and Six metagame as well, and that's why Ant became so popular. But I think the format did become a little, like, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, but, like, homogeneized, or however the fuck you say it. Yeah, homogenous. Uh, homogenized. Yep. Uh, where there was only a few playable decks. By the end of the format, there was, like, what, four playable decks? Yeah. It was, like, Rugged Delver, Ant, Sneak and Show, and Death and Taxes was awful. I can't even think of a fourth deck. Maybe four color? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that that does say, like, it feels like the format is still pretty open. Um, what, it was like Agrolome won uh, Legacy Champs, the uh, Magic Online Invitational. Um, Matthew Vuk. Yeah, Ozymandias. Congratulations to him. Yeah, for sure. Ozymandias taking it down. And it's nice seeing, like, for a long time... Agrolome was kind of a joke deck. People would make fun of it for you. And, you know, thanks to uh, a lot of people like Connor Fulce, even like Bob Huang played Agrolome for a bit. Lots of players kind of turned that deck. And with the printings of Ren and Six and Oko, you know, has really brought that deck to uh, tier two, tier one standard even. Um, Can so- we not give Bob credit? I've seen him cast the Swords of Plowshares into his own chalice. <laughs> I've seen that too. It was great. I was just thinking of like the big names that I could think of that were playing the deck, but yes. Um, But I, yeah, I mean, it is, it does feel like the legacy metagame is nowhere near as narrow as it was during like the death, right? Shaman days, the red and six days, the, the sensei's divining shop top days. There are still, you know, a ton of decks that you can play. I think the problem people are running into, and this kind of reminds me of the death, right? Shaman days a little bit where, yeah, there's like 10 different death, right? Shaman decks you can play and that's kind of what legacy feels a little bit right now it's like yeah there are 10 different oko decks that you can play mm-hmm. so uh a two-part question for, or well one's a question one's a statement do people really still call the deck agrolome like i feel like it's either four color alone or five color alone like agrolome in my head involves like countryside crusher and terror <laughs> yeah i mean like the discord still agrolome and there's the, really the, i didn't know that yeah uh, there's also, like, I think pe- people who have been playing the deck for a long time still refer to it as Agrolome, and it's the, like, Channel Fireball, MTG Goldfish, like, the deck aggregation websites that give it the more descriptive, you know, four-color loan game name. In my heart, it'll always just be not blue dot deck. 
Oh, it's currently blue diamond. Yeah, which is why I that's that was the tipping point for me and Oko. <laughs> that's it. I'm so, done. Uh, as you probably know, I keep a pretty detailed spreadsheet of all of my matches. Yes. Yeah. What do the numbers and say? Miracles is the most popular deck in the format, and I faced it 36 times uh, since the banning of Ren and Six. Four color loam slash aggro loam is the second most played deck, which is twenty two cr- matches. Crazy, like that is crazy. Aggro loam taking such like I want to say that's probably close to like a fifteen percent gain in popularity in the past year. Yeah, and if you look at the other decks, I'm kind of shocked by some of them. Ant is uh, in fourth behind Golgari Depths, and TES is actually I've played the Mirror the fifth most time, so like that doesn't even count for all the time that I spend grinding. Mm, yeah, so. I mean, it's an interesting one. What I've noticed off that list, uh, what's nowhere to be seen is an old pillar of the format as far as fair decks go is Delver has taken a huge dive in popularity, it feels like. It's uh, not very good against a lot of these, uh, like, Oko fair blue piles, which mm-hmm. is fine. If you think back to when everyone considers, like, the golden age of Legacy before, like, Karn and stuff, before Karn and Narset hit, Delver was really, really bad during that time period before Dread Horde Arcanist. Hmm. Um, oh, that actually reminded me of a point I wanted to make before, uh, is that I think one of the reasons why people are so ban-heavy is traditionally, once there's a major ban, it's led to some of the most fun legacy metagames. Like, after, right after Sensei's Dividing Top was banned, especially right after Deathrite Shaman was banned, I think right after... Deathrite Shaman is banned is one of the best stretches of the legacy metagame in the game's entire history. Like, I think that was some of the most fun matches with some of the coolest decks. It really felt like anything was possible. And I think people are really chasing that high. They want that experience again. And they think that it's just one good ban around the corner from happening again. I would disagree pretty heavily with that. What? Uh, I think at this point, there's no coming back from War of the Spark plus Modern Horizons. Like, you can dream of going back to a year and a half ago, but, like, sometimes you have to look in the mirror and face reality. Like, those days are gone. You have to just play with the cards you have in front of you and just, like, enjoy what you have at the time. Yeah, so you disagree with it being possible, but as far as the hypothesis, as far as, like, why people are chasing those bands. Sure, but, like, I think that it's short-sighted and like you just it's it's never going to go back so you might as well just enjoy with what you have like i've been winning a lot recently with veil of summer in the back of my head i'm like there's like probably a 25 percent chance that card gets banned in the near future Mm -hmm. so i'm just going to play with veil summer as much as i can when i'm doing well and enjoy it and if it gets banned i'll try to figure something else out but like let's have fun now yeah that's a pretty good outlook to have um I've been enjoying kind of trying out some new decks. I gave the Hogak deck a spin, uh, which is fun. I actually, I had first got an experience with that in uh, Modern. I was playing that a bit. Uh, I I mean, it basically ports ports over almost exactly into Legacy. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's cool seeing these uh, cards and decks, you know, resurface a bit. Like Bitter Blossom's always been one of my favorite cards, and that's really good in the meta right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's good advice to just enjoy with what you have now, because it's probably going to change soon that the trajectory legacy has been going the past year or two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I'm kind of a jerk. I mean, other than what you already know, 
but I I make people play it out when they have the Hogak combo against me. Like yeah. I'll make them sit there and mill out their deck. <laughs> I had one guy rage on me in chat the other day, and I'm like, look, dude, you signed up for this. Yeah. You registered into a league to mill yourself to death and then slowly mill me to death. Like, I'm going to make you do the 80 clicks because this is what you signed up for. Like, same thing with Bomberman. <laughs> like, I did it the other night where one of my opponents was like, well, you can see it. I have uh, the Walking Blessed in hand. I'm like, now nah, I'm going to go fill up my hot tub. And I just like... <laughs> Went and connected the hose, came back, and I was dead. Love it. Uh, the extra rod bins. I'm going to fill up my hot tub <laughs> to relax. <laughs> um, fun fact I learned the other day. You know, uh, Hogak is bigger than a Grizzlebrand. So if you cast Show and Tell turn one against Dredge, it's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> it used to be like game two. It's like, oh, Dredge got the turn one Show and Tell. Easy win. Slam it. <laughs> this time I learned that Hogak is an 8-8. <laughs> Yeah. So I like when most people ask me to like do something. They're like, "Hey, is there something you'd like to talk about?" Jerry was just like, "Be there by 8:30." <laughs> I just need a sounding board, Brian. That's all it is. <laughs> is there something you want to talk about specifically, Brian? I, I have a question for Brian actually. If you don't, if you want to humor me, Brian. Um, okay. So the the Theros Beyond Death spoilers, like the whole set has been spoiled. There, I, I didn't see a ton of stuff in there for Legacy, personally, uh, but there were a couple cards that caught my eye. Uh, and one of them I think you might be particularly uh, adept at speaking to is Underworld Breach. Uh, is First of all, is, uh, uh, let me actually pull it up so I can just read the card for people. I'm curious to see if it's something that you think is is worth playing. It's one in a red for, for an enchantment. Uh, each nine land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost, plus exile three cards from your graveyard. Uh, at the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Underworld Breach. Is this a card you're even remotely interested in playing in, in some version of a Storm deck? So this card has a lot of potential, and I think that's important. Uh, that said, I don't know if this card is as good as some of the people on Twitter and Reddit are saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens a lot with combo cards. Is A card gets spoiled, and then people scream that the sky is falling. They did it with Echo of Aeons. They did it with Bolas and Citadel. Mm-hmm. Wishclaw Talisman went a little bit underneath uh, the radar, mostly because it takes one more mana than Infernal Tutor. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't think Wishclaw was that good, personally. And if you look at Bolas and Citadel, the card just doesn't see any play at all. Echo took a long time to catch on, and it didn't really catch on until a couple months after Wishclaw was printed when we started re-examining how the deck was structured. So with a card like Underworld Breach, sure, you, there's the LED brain freeze, mill myself to death, and then after my deck is gone, grape shot you for 86 or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's super cool. Uh, don't get me wrong, also Entomb becomes a one-mana demonic tutor at that point. Mm-hmm. The thing with Underworld Breach, though, is all these decks lack a good backup plan, and that's the good thing about, well, a defining feature of good combo decks in Legacy. And you really want a a solid plan B and even a plan C in case your first two get shut off. Mm -hmm. Every single Breach deck I've seen only has a plan A, and if they even have a plan B, it's not very strong. So you could try to tuck Breach into, like, Ant. But I don't think that's the right shell either due to, like, Cabal Ritual and Past in Flames. Mm-hmm. And while it is cheaper than Past in Flames, you usually don't have enough to flashback, like, four spells. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, that was kind of my my thought too. I know I know people have been talking about the card, and I, I do not profess myself to be a storm expert by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm always curious to like talk to people who like like you who have I mean innumerable reps with the deck and can sort of see the the underpinnings and where there might be room for it, or maybe it spawns another style of deck. But it just seemed like Underworld Breach with a card like Lion's Eye Diamond that just generates its own uh, its own uh, you know non land cards to escape. Uh, or rather, rather cards to escape, uh, add to the escape cost, whatever. Seems like a kind of a cool combination, but there has to be you have to be working towards something with that, I guess. Um, yeah. So with Underworld Breach, I think that it has room to grow. Like this card is a card that, like maybe two years from now, a card gets bro- uh, spoiled, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, Underworld Breach is broken. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has that potential, so, sort of like Grindstone. It went fifteen years being unplayable, and all of a sudden, they printed Painter Servant, and it was just insane. Yeah. Uh, like Underworld Breach, like the potential is there, and I'm not saying it's an instant speed when the or instant win the game like Painter Grindstone is, but like it has the potential to be broken at some point. I just don't think we have all of the tools right now. Gotcha. And when you look at a deck like TES, there's a ton of cards that don't go to the graveyard. There's like Mox Opals and Chrome Moxes and stuff like that. So, okay, Jerry, were there any cards in this set that you were particularly interested in? Um, I think the one that's most likely to see play is uh, Thassa's Oracle. I think oh. that's probably the shoe in for is that a bl- is that a blue card? It must be a blue card, right? Yeah, Thassa's Oracle, it's blue blue uh <laughs> one three when Thassa's Oracle enters the battlefield. Don't don't say the rest. Don't say the rest. <laughs> uh, Pat, what is your favorite blue creature? Uh my favorite blue creature is Delver Secrets. <laughs> what what is your favorite two and a blue creature? Oh, two and a blue. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, true name nemesis. Oh wait, two and a blue. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. That's one blue, blue. Two and a blue. What's two and a blue? Pat, you have a storied history with it. Two and a blue. Yes. What are we talking? about? I only listen to your podcast like once every five. What weeks, are we talking about right now? <laughs> are we are we talking about? Are we talking? About, you know what? I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even recognizing this creature because I know what you guys are getting at. And now I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> so the card that we're talking about is laboratory maniac <laughs> and this card is the new laboratory maniac especially in decks like oops all spells or doomsday or other decks you shouldn't be playing it's going to be great <laughs> uh but yeah so blue blue one three when Thassa's oracle enters the battlefield look at the top x cards of your library where, where x is your devotion to blue so just by itself it's two cards Put up to one of them on top of your library and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. If X is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. I'm mad. So basically the idea is any deck that can uh, self-mill itself or what I've actually liked is... um, this is actually going to be not the new win condition instead of Approach of the Second Sun in my blue-black Omni Show deck. Um, so you basically just do get Omniscience in play, uh, do the Wish Fairy for uh, Enter the Infinite, and then cast Thassa's Oracle and win the game on the spot. That way you can get around like, having to win through your attack step with Emrakul's. Um, so I like how this plan is just worse than the blue-green Omni decks that are seeing play now. Like This takes so much more work and you're playing cards that are less it doesn't take more work though because it's two it's the opportunity cost is two cards in your sideboard you run a thassa's oracle and an enter the infinite in your sideboard and you're good to go 
because all you have to do is once you get omniscience in play, you wish for enter the infinite enter enter the infinite draws your deck. You use a wish you found with that enter the infinite since you drew your deck to get Thassa's Oracle uh, and now you win the game. So it's the sa- it's the same deck. The shell is exactly the same. You're just using these two cards as your win conditions uh, slots in your sideboard instead of doing like fire mines foresight and release the ants. Well, so I, I get what you're saying, Jerry. The issue is that like the shared summons just get Emrakul Gristlebrand is going to win ninety nine point nine nine nine. I would say it's like ninety five percent, but yeah, and, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, you're playing a bunch but of cute not, cards. it's not. It's two cards. Like, two cute cards in your sideboard. So, Jerry, are we playing to win or playing We're to playing have fun? playing to do both. <laughs> it's it's not. <laughs> I, I honestly don't think it's as much of an opportunity cost as you think it is. Like, it's the you're literally just replacing Firemind's Foresight and Release the Ants, which is also could arguably just be called cute cards with these two cards instead. Like, it's it's the same thing. Well, the new blue-green uh, Omni Show deck doesn't play those. It plays one shared summons as uh, like a cute card, but that card just wins the game on the spot. Yeah, but that's a different deck than this. Like that deck loses to other things that the Eureka Tell deck does. All right, so I am interested as mm-hmm. the uh, the skill and show expert. Why don't you tell me what it loses to <laughs> that your deck does not? I am like genuinely interested to hear Jerry. So. What I like about, so first of all, the blue-black deck could also just be a mono-blue deck, Um, so it opens us up to being a budget option for players, but it just has those uh, abilities to win outside of the attack step, where granted, yes, 95% of the time, you're just going to swing in with a Grizzlebrand and Emrakul, and that's going to be the game uh, it's, it's said and done, but there are plenty of games where swinging in is impossible, either they have an ensnaring bridge, or they have like Caracas and they've wastelanded your red sources so you can't get the uh, the sneak attack off on multiple times to get around the Caracas. And those are the games where having an ability to win outside of the attack step really matters. And the difference in that one game could be, you know, continuing on with your tournament or scooping it up then and there. Okay. So hypothetically speaking, let's say your opponent has an ensnaring bridge. Mm-hmm. You put you cast shared summons. You get Emrakul. So you take another turn and you cast Grisselbrand. Let's say you draw fourteen cards, which seems pretty standard. Yep. If your opponent has an ensnaring bridge, what's the likelihood that with these fourteen cards you just drew, that you have enough cantrips uh, slash other utility to find a cunning wish into a bounce spell? Pretty high, right? Yeah, high, but it's not guaranteed. Like okay. having the attack, the win outside of the attack step uh, gives you that ability to lock it up. Like I know it, it's corner cases, but it does happen because it's happened to me numerous times where they have things that prevent you from getting your creatures. You know, I've had my Emmercool Flicker Wisp when I was about to go to my attack step. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had the the. So yeah, get. like it, like it happens. <laughs> it comes up. It's not a zero percent chance. Okay. Like there, there's you. there's a reason why the Omnitel lists run Firemind's Foresight, release the ants, and you know then that's a deck that even does win with that combo much more often than the more creature heavy versions with Eureka Tell or Sneak Attack. Like I think you're you're comparing it more towards the you know the Sneak and Show Eureka Tell versions rather than the Omnitel versions, which are much more combo focused and don't win through the attack step nearly as often. It's because attacking sucks, Jerry. 
Exactly. <laughs> That's why I want to win outside of the attack step. <laughs> that said, though, I think that it's beyond point because I think the real point of the, is Thassa's Oracle, and I do think it's going to show up way more often in things like Oops All Spells and Cephalid Breakfast, like these tier three combo decks that you know don't matter, but you know you probably will run into them if you play enough Legacy. A much younger Brian Cook used to love Cephalid Breakfast. <laughs> I mean, Cephalid Breakfast used to be the shit back in the day. I played it back in Old Extended, back when it still had uh, dual lands and vampiric tutors, and you had to, like, on your upkeep flashback, Crochet and Reclamation for Stitch together, and then you would Stitch together your Searcher Goal, and it would get a Dragon's Breath, and then you would attack. Yeah, that's pretty good. pre uh, Amoeba, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I do have a sleeper pick for Theros too that I think I think people are oh, sleeping yeah, on is uh, Dryad of the Hissian Grove. I do not know what that is. What is this? So it's two and a green for a two four. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. Uh, I did see that one. Uh, that seems like a very good card in modern Scape Shift. That, and I also think it'll see play in these, like, four-color Green Sun Zenith decks that we've been seeing. Um, you know, usually those decks have to lean pretty heavily on either Astrolabe or Mox Diamond. And if there's something like a Null Rod or something out, it will it can really cramp their style. So I just see this being as a, a one-of in Green Sun Zenith decks that are running these three, four colors as another way to, to fix their mana outside of the artifacts. Can we take a second to talk about how much uh, Nolrod sucks? I hate that card. <laughs> you should not play it. it uh, I, I also want to just—I want to shout out Dryad just for having like a straight up dad bod. I was really sick of—I was really sick of Oko being like shredded with the eight pack. I'm—I'm uh, I'm really happy to see Wizards has come come down and like given us a more uh, uh, legitimate and uh, attainable male <laughs> ideal in uh, Dryad of Rep- the Grove. So shout out, shout out to Wizards for being forward thinking, not trapping us into yeah, all rep- having apex, you know. Because I know, I know, I have it, but not every representation is key, Pat. You know it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I'm glad to see a dude with a dad bod and wearing just vines, apparently chilling on a card. I, I like that. I like <laughs> that a lot. So the biggest thing that I've heard about this new Theros set is that people were hoping that there would be better enchantment uh, removal printed because that's something that's been lacking mm-hmm. in recent Magic history. And the enchantment removal in this set isn't that great, but I also understand, like, you don't want to print something that just, like, crushes enchantments in your enchantment-themed set. So, I think right. the I think that was the problem of Urza's Saga. It was supposed to be enchantments, and then they printed too many enchantment removal, and it turned into an artifact set. Yeah. So, I think, like, it's a tough balance, because, like, as a set designer, you don't want to cripple yourself, but that it's tough to make everyone happy, I guess, and... The creative team behind Wizards, I don't think necessarily gets the credit that they always deserve, which isn't talked about. They only ever get the blame for bad sets, but uh, what was it? Throne of Eldraine Limited was fantastic. I played a ton of it, and that's just, like, no one ever talks about how good the limited format is when there's all these mistakes Hmm. going around like Modern Horizons. Right, yeah. That is true. And there's one more card... uh, that I was curious uh, what you guys thought about. It's a single black. Have you guys seen this? The Exile Creature card? I have. Let me pull it up. I would like quick. to say that this card uh, is a glorified is. cremate. Are you talking about cling, cling to dust? 
Yeah, cling to dust. It's a uh, it's black for instant. Exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, you gain three life. Otherwise, you draw a card. And it does have an escape for three and a black. It's fine. Uh, which makes you exile five other cards. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I thought it was interesting. I don't know if it's really like that much better than something like Surgical Extraction. It's probably going to see as um, much play as like Coffin Purge. And Coffin Purge does not see very much play. Like it's one of those cards where like maybe one day I'll be in a tournament and my opponent casts it and I'm like, oh, that's a that's a cool card. But I mean, that's about yeah. all I'd expect yeah. out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not like I said. I was I was just curious to hear to kind of bounce bounce it off you guys. And it see reminds me of like invasive surgery, in the fact like they're not mm. similar cards, but like, how playable they are in my mind is very similar. Like when they were spoiled, everyone was like, "Wow, this card's like really good. It has a lot of options. It's better mm-hmm. than envelop." But the fact of the matter is, the card just like doesn't do quite enough. Like Legacy has a, such a yeah. high threshold for playability, where it's really tough to break into that unless you're a design mistake from 2019. <laughs> yep. Um, anything? Yeah. So not. So I was kind of. I have to say, I was kind of uh, relieved to n- not see a bunch of uh, cards that would instantly. That I at least I th- was concerned that would instantly impact the format. Um, I, I was looking through the planeswalkers quickly, and I didn't see anything that really stuck out to me. Was there anything that in in the multicolor cards you guys thought was exceptional? Did Bryant think anything was playable in this set? Yeah, I, I wasn't too thrilled with it for legacy personally, no. but we don't need every set mm-hmm. to be a banger. I think it's I think it's a good no thing for, sure. for uh, sure. I have to, a lot of my friends who are really into Commander are super pumped about this deck. Um, or really? about the set. I mean, yeah, because it's a enchantment graveyard themed set. Like, I feel mm-hmm. there are so many cards in here that the um, uh, commander players are going to eat up like the the new giants the elder giants i think are going to see a ton of play in legacy yeah like uh, croxa croxa is pretty cool yeah also uru titan and nature's wrath uh pelucrados unchained like these are all you know slam dunk cards for uh commander so i'm totally fine with this being Mm -hmm. more a commander focus set so i am sponsored by a local store for local events and supporting them locally and all that good stuff from the vault games shout out and when talking with the owner, he says that Commander players buy the most card product slash card singles than any other format combined, including Modern, which is like the the area's largest format. Like they, fi- you could play Modern mm-hmm. five days a week here. It's insane. And yeah, but Commander players, they'll come in, they'll drop hundred twenty dollars on a standard booster box, they'll get that forty dollar card single and walk out, and you may never see them again. There's so many of those people. I bought a card two months ago and. Like somehow it came up that uh, that I played Magic and the guy's like, "Oh man, who's your commander?" It wasn't like, "What format do you play?" <laughs> it was, "Who's your commander?" Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, uh, commander has never been a a, um, a format that has interested me really at all. Other than the fact that like, if my friends play it, I'd probably want to play it with them because it seems like it's a fun like drinking variety of of the game. But. Um, yeah, I, I I am not surprised that commander is drives. Uh, that dr- can drive business like that. Um, I think it's just it's just such a uh, like I don't know. I think people like the format, obviously, and, and it always seems to be pretty forefront in Wizards' minds. Uh, I think whenever they do their surveys, I think commanders are generally commander players are generally the ones who are heads and shoulders above the rest the rest of us there. 
Um, For stores, too, like not only is it just the volume that commander players buy, I think it's also the loyalty factor. Like I feel competitive mm-hmm. players, standard, modern legacy, you know, they're the ones most likely to buy their cards off a TCG player. They're most likely to, you know, go to the store that's across town because they're selling booster boxes for five dollars cheaper than the store they usually go to. You know, they're they're all about kind of chasing that value. Whereas I think most of the commander players, just because they are casual and don't have the connections to the community and you know maybe not know all the ins and outs on how to get their cards for bottom barrel pricing you know they're the ones most likely to be like oh i just go to my store because it's my store and i buy the cards because i'm meeting my friends to go play commander i need the card now i can't wait to order it off a tcg player in preparation for a tournament a week from now how much do you think that stores like the fact too that they can sell a bunch of commander cards but never actually have to host any commander tournaments there like they don't have to have the space for players to come in and, and play commander because they're doing it at home it's a tabletop format versus like if you're selling a bunch of modern cards people are also going to want a modern scene supported at your so store at least here thursday nights is commander night and they get like 20 people and then the very next night mm-hmm. is fnm and they have another commander uh event there and they'll usually get anywhere between 16 and 24 so around the same ballpark but like wow. sometimes it's more People love playing mm-hmm. like those uh, pods where the winner of each pod goes to this big table at the end. And I think mm-hmm. for casual players, like just winning your pod is super cool. And I don't know. It's personally not for me, but I've tried it. Yeah, I've had a couple commander decks that I've purchased and then sold and never played. And I think I still have half of like that Grixis Wizards deck that I got that I won like uh, in at Hascon years ago. Uh, that's like half sleeved in a, in a box next to my desk, and I don't know. Like I, I like the. I guess I like the idea of the format, but the times where I've tried to play it, I just haven't been super into it. But that's also because like I'm not really bought into my deck. I haven't customized a deck and thought about all the ins and outs. It's just I just don't have that kind of time to 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 put into that into that endeavor. Um, so it just doesn't seem like it's for me. But I think it's cool. People like it, and it's great. If it's keeping stores open because they're they're catering to commander players, I'm all about that. I think it's fantastic. So uh, a side note is that uh, I'm going to show for a second. Uh, from the vault, for anyone located in the New York area, they're doing QKs that are legacy every other month. You should totally come to Syracuse mm-hmm. and play in some of these 2Ks because there are like 40 people and we can't get to 50 to break up. They're going to become 2.5 if we could just get to 50. And every month it's like 42, 44, 42. Just show up. Get a car full of friends. Like that's awesome. 2.5K and it's 40 people. They should, they should advertise <laughs> yeah, more. I had great. no idea they were doing that. I would like If I had an off weekend, I would totally drive out to Syracuse to play in a 2K. Well, Jerry, I have a secret for you. What? There's going to be five of us coming to the LAL Open. So, uh, hell yeah. We'll get a crew together ready. and return the favor. Um, but yeah. I, I think, uh, when I first started playing Legacy, it it was kind of before the Star City Games Legacy Circuit took off, and it was much more about the regional store venues throwing the regional sized tournaments. And it feels like Legacy's getting back mm-hmm. to that. And I love that because, you know, driving around to like driving three four hours with your buddies every weekend to go into like the different regional tournaments was a ton of fun when i was younger and i feel it's great that this kind of style is coming back and the next generation of players can also do that yeah definitely well well speaking of that and and, you know kind of being that we're in the uh the very beginning of 2020 here i'm curious to hear what you guys think uh sort of the future of the format holds for 
for legacy, uh, you know, be it like what the meta game is going to shape up to be this year, or sort of what how you feel like where the format's going to be a year from now, and, and what do you expect to see in twenty twenty uh, for yourselves playing the playing the game? So I think that legacy is not getting the support that it probably should. If you talk to a lot of like Star City grinders, a majority of them will tell you legacy is their favorite format. The problem is legacy doesn't sell card mm-hmm. singles. So Star City Games doesn't care about that. Wizards doesn't care about that right. because if you're not buying standard product, what good are you? And mm-hmm. Legacy is in a tough spot because we got lucky. I think last year we got four Legacy Grand Prix. And this year the first quarter has been announced and the second might have been announced. I'm not positive, but like zero Legacy GPs or Magic Fest, whatever you'd like yeah. to call them. And we're at the point where we might be lucky to get two this year. Like, I would consider us lucky yeah. if we get one United States Legacy GP and one Europe one. Yeah. And it's just, like, kind of a tough spot to be in. So what Jeremy's doing in Missouri is fantastic. And I plan on going to all of them that I can. And hopefully he doesn't uh, announce one on the day that I'm getting married this year because that would suck. <laughs> yeah, um, how's your wife going to take it that you have to call off your wedding? <laughs> I don't know, but it's 40K. It's a lot of money. <laughs> so just please don't schedule we it. We could pay for another wedding if we just, <laughs> we just win it. Just don't do it on June 21st, please. Uh, I'm begging you. Yeah, I... But yeah, I agree. Um, I think the future legacy is definitely in the regional tournaments. We've seen a ton of interest and a ton of uh, different events around the country start to pop up. The LAL Open keeps getting bigger and bigger each time. Um, I, we were actually talking, you know, I think not, uh, maybe not the next one, but the one after it, we're going to turn into a two-day event just because the demand's there. People want to play. They want to play the Legacy, and having a two-day event is, for a lot of people, the difference between, you know, hopping on a plane or not. Um, sometimes it's hard making the argument to fly to an event that's only a one day, but when it's a weekend, all of a sudden it seems like that much more of an adventure. Well, hold on. Um, Are you talking about like a Saturday event and a Sunday event or Star City style or Grand Prix style where it's 15 rounds? Uh, I mean, it w- if we if enough people showed up, it would end up being that. But I think doing a, a Saturday event and then also a follow up Sunday event. I think I like that more. Yeah, because uh, we do. There has been a lot of like. So this, we're doing an experiment for this LAL Open on February first, uh, where we're going to do a Legacy Unchained side event, where um, you have the you know entirety of Magic's card pool open to you to see if what you can do to break Legacy. So I think just doing more fun stuff like that on day two would be an interesting experiment. Well, I'm very happy for you, Jerry. I would never play in that event. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no I'm just not interested. Legacy Unchained. But I do think that the Legacy Unchained idea is great because I think the Wizard should possibly be looking to unban things instead of banning things in Legacy. Legacy is the sort of format that will self-correct, and if you unban a card, maybe other cards won't look so bad. Uh, for example, I don't think that Survival should be on the ban list any longer. Uh, when it was banned, Vengevine was causing havoc which is understandable and they've printed hollowed one since then also an issue uh but also since then we have rest in peace graft digger's cage surgical extraction surgical didn't even exist at the time like uh, how are you going might. to keep a card banned for this long without reevaluating it true yeah in, like, I mean, in a format where people are putting gristle brand into play on turn one you're gonna ban a two mana green enchantment get earthcraft off there survival two it's ridiculous yeah 
I hear you. It's it's. I also want survival uh, unbanned, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I have uh, eight uh, copies of Survival of Fittest, and I want that card to get unbanned really fast. But uh, yeah, I I think there's a lot of stuff on the ban list that could easily come off, and I think Wizards is probably just saving it for a rainy day. Like for the longest time, World Gorger Dragon was banned, and that was like, what are you doing? Why is this here? <laughs> I faced Dragon last night in a Legacy League. <laughs> How was it? My opponent did not win. <laughs> uh, sounds about right. <laughs> so a slightly different uh, topic. I would like to give you two some credit. I think content creation, especially after podcasting for 17 episodes, it's uh, not as rewarding as some people may think it is. We Wait, got a lot of hate mail. <laughs> you you guys are getting rewards? <laughs> Oh yeah, we got tons of dollars. Some of us, some of you liked us, but uh, for example, like there's just like some mean people out there that like you're putting out free content and they feel the need to just like email you hate. Uh, yeah, Grand Prix Niagara Falls, in which Gerald top aided uh, right before round three, which was my first round of the day. Someone sent me a like th- this is not an exaggeration. It was like a three page long word doc about things that they hated about my personality and ways that I could fix it. Oh my god. Oh, so wow. they're helping. They're giving you advice on how you can fix yourself, Brian. <laughs> I hope you thank them. I'm pretty sure I gave them like a that generic is... thanks email. Uh, but like, that's terrible. It's not oh as rewarding gosh. as people think. And I'm not trying to like get pity or anything, but I'm just trying to say that it's a hard thing to do. And especially for as long as you two have leaving a legacy, you're on like what two? you're in the two twenties. Uh, uh, I think we're actually no. I think we're the two sixties. Yeah. I know. I think stuff. we're at we're at two seventy. So. Well, it's we've been doing it for five years. Hold on, let me look it up. The, our last episode. This will be two seventy one. Okay. The one that we're doing right now. This will be two. You two don't get the credit that you should. Especially, uh, I've seen some of the things that people say about you. Half the time, it's me. But you guys, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you should get more praise than you do. Well, thank you. That's that's very kind. And, and you know, I, for what it's worth, I, I actually really enjoyed your podcast. I listened to it every every week that it came out. And, um, yeah, I think co- content creation is weird, right? Because some people, I, I don't know, it's it's an unusual dynamic when you like when you between like the podcasters and the listeners, because and I've, I've had the same thing with podcasts that I listen to. You know, you kind of listen to them and, you know, you might be driving or working or doing dishes or whatever, housework, whatever it is. And you feel like you're being invited into this kind of intimate space. That I mean, that's how I feel, at least, where you feel like you're um, you can feel like you're part of the crew and you're 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 hip to all the inside jokes and all that stuff. And and then when you flip that around, you might then interact with those podcasters. You might feel like you have a little bit more familiarity than they feel comfortable with on, on the flip side of that, if that makes sense. So like they, they might feel comfortable telling you a bunch of stuff and, I, and I'm not justifying what that person said to you because I think that's completely ridiculous what they did, but I've had that experience where people like, um, they just know you better than you know them. It's just kind of been a one way conversation for a long time. And, and, uh, they take sort of, uh, a, a little bit more leeway with that than, than maybe is, is proper. But, um, I, I do appreciate the the, the kind words, and it, it it can be a grind sometimes. It's not always easy to come and and uh, and find the time to to carve out the time and sit down and talk. And and sometimes you kind of feel like you're like me meandering. You don't know exactly where you're going. And uh, 
But uh, but yeah, I, I do appreciate that. I don't know if Jerry has anything else he wants to add to that, but that's kind of my my. The meandering on. without knowing where you're road. going, I call that dossing. Yes. Anurag does it a lot. Yeah, uh, I love you, Anurag, but uh, that's his specialty. Like he just talks until he realizes what he wanted to say. Yeah, that's that's called the Jerry style. You didn't. <laughs> I prefer dossing. <laughs> it's the Jerry school is thought. <laughs> we also received an email and I want to say it was like episode eight where some guy emailed us and I'm sorry if you're listening, but I'm going to mention this. Uh, he was like, I listen to your podcast when I'm driving my kids to school and I don't appreciate how often you uh, say the word fuck. And I was just like, why are you making your kids listen to us? Like, yeah. like they don't want to hear about us argue over Ren and Six again. Like <laughs> The way... Oh, the way so I've always taken a podcast is a, a kind of a guiding principle that Adrian uh, set out. You know, only only the the true OG bros and uh, sisters out there know uh, Adrian, one of the founding members of Leaving Legacy, and his whole thing is. I'm just doing this podcast. I don't expect anyone to listen. In fact, I'm surprised if anyone listens, but I'm going to just do this podcast because it's what I want to do. And if other people think it's cool, that's cool. <laughs> if I had my yeah, way, Eternal yeah. Glory would still be going. I love podcasting. It is so much fun. Hell yeah, man. We've got to gotta reclaim the title for uh, most appearances on the cast. Have you on a bunch more? <laughs> well, uh, I think I was blacklisted for a while. <laughs> well you had you you started a rival podcast yeah. you expect, and you, you know we have to yeah we enemies. sent the collection officers by to collect and you refused it was an insult to our honor <laughs> i'm not giving you a dime jerry <laughs> you need that tithe money <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, Pat, I don't think we, we asked you, where do you see the future of Legacy in this coming year? Uh, I, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I think that the local tournaments are going to be where it's at. I think it's up to the players um, and the communities, the local communities to keep that keep that going and and to show up to tournaments and play in them when they're available. And, and, and I can't say that I'm always the best at that because, man, it seems like lately I have had no time to get out and play. And I'm, I'm tr- one of my New Year's resolutions is to... Uh, play a lot more in paper because I just Magic Online just doesn't do it for me. So if I'm going to play Magic, it's going to have to be in paper. So that means I have to get my ass out to two events and and set aside time from family and work and school and stuff to to do that. So I'm trying to be better at that. But uh, yeah, I think I think that if if you want to have a legacy scene to go to, you got to support it, right? Like just saying that you want legacy near you um, isn't going to make it happen. You have to go out to the stores and, and and frequent those stores and get your friends to come play and you know do what it do what it takes to to build your scene and we've had people on the cast who have built their scene from nothing into into a thriving scene and we've had people on the cast who have seen their scene kind of die away and 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 that's always very sad to hear so you you got to fight for it if you want it and um yeah that's that, I I agree I think it's going to be on the local level and I kind of like that myself I SCGs were always fun but um. It was uh, not the coolest thing to see a bunch of grinders come to your t- local town and claim claim titles that I think that the locals should be fighting for. So I kind of dig lo- lo- locals uh, uh, battling it out for for the titles in their towns, and, and I think it's a little bit more fun. And, and uh, yeah, I think that regional aspect is makes the game. All right, a little I have bit three things I want to say. One, you're <laughs> you're like essentially arguing that like 
you think that everyone should be a medium fish beating up other medium fish. I love the thrill of facing someone who might be better than me and then destroying them. <laughs> uh, like, I like facing higher competition because I feel like it makes me better mm-hmm. and it makes me want to play better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just me personally. And I understand, like, hey, you want to defend your area or whatever, but when? If they're coming to your area and they're winning, you got to do a better job. Yeah, uh, Pat, well, have you tried? Have you tried not sucking? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, have you, Pat? Listen, I play Blue Red Delver, so the ceiling's only so high, guys. I mean, what do you want from me? Hey, like out of the sixteen people, so like sixteen people played it in the format playoff or format championship. Yeah, I know. Right? I, I, uh, so I guess I guess what I'm saying is is like. I like the I, I don't know to me like the the the, the drawback of SCGs at least in my opinion was like when you go there you don't feel like you're part of a community to me I don't know it just felt like a traveling circus it didn't feel like what is a traveling circus yeah yeah that that's just that's just like that's what it felt like it felt like you're walking into this giant it, it just wasn't as intimate I like fifty hundred person tournament pe- person tournaments yeah like, I I, th- I think what you're trying to say Pat is the regional tournaments is where you make those like lifelong friendships of magic yes, like yeah exactly. So, it's like that's where I met Adrian and we started doing the podcast is those regional tournaments, you know, uh, Josh and Nick, who we've had on the cast a bunch. Um, you know, that's where I met those guys is we would, you know, play at FNM and they're like, hey, there's this big tournament in Syracuse next weekend. We have a spot in the car. You want to come with us? Right. I'm like, hell yeah. Right. I'll jump in this stranger's car for, and, you know, six hours and drive to upstate New York. And I to think play that, magic. But I, that's also part of like the, the regional thing is like, yeah, I want to. So I guess what I'm saying, Brian, and, and I completely understand where you're where you're coming from, is like I like the regional thing because then yes, then like me and my squad from from Ma- Central Mass can go out to Syracuse and battle with Syracuse locals. That's what I'm saying. Like if, if we're and all that's going- completely fine, but I also think that like there's a a time and a place for playing in larger events just to like to prove your worth. It doesn't totally. need to be regionals, and that's totally. what Star City was. Yeah, no, I, I, I all right. So yeah, I'm 100 percent with you there, but it just. I don't know. It, when, like when I went to when I went to a Star City Games event in Worcester, even though it was like you know in my home in my home area, right in Central Mass, like you know twenty minutes from where I live, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like I could I could touch the fabric of our community there. If that if that makes sense. Versus like when I go to a tournament at Etsy or or um, you know when I was going to. Uh, to Time Vault Games in Bellingham, or if I was going to TJ's, you can feel the the fabric of the community there, and you just don't feel it at an SCG because as because like you said, SCG is sort of where you I don't know it like walking around and seeing a bunch of SCG grinders to me just wasn't like it was kind of like ah you know they're just here because that Star City Games is here they're not here because they want to test their metal against people from Worcester or they don't, they don't want to they're not here because they want to test their metal against people from Syracuse that's just kind of how it felt to me that's that's all. But I, I do, right, I do so, understand wanting to play at a higher at a higher level. I, I completely understand that, hundred percent. When Star City announced that they weren't going to be doing Legacy anymore, I saw a lot of reactions from people around Reddit and leaving Legacy's Facebook group and a couple of other areas where they were like, "Great, Star City's uh, saying they're not going to have Legacy anymore, so they can buy all of our dual lands and then spike the prices, and then announce they're doing Legacy again." I don't think that Star City is this giant conspiracy out to get your dual lands. Mm. If the week before they announced that they weren't going to be holding any events anymore, I don't know if you realize, but they had a huge uh, deal on dual lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so normally their like FPB tundras were like five eighty. They had them marked down to like three ninety wow. or four hundred. Like it was incredibly low. Because I was looking at FPBs at the time, and I'm just like, wow, these prices are insane. Why are they so low? Well, it's because they're crashing the economy. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it's like some giant ploy to get you in a few years. 
But I did uh, read something on MTG The Source by uh, Ben Boyce, who is, uh, I believe he's like their VP. Uh, that or he's like their head of sales or something. But Ben said that Star City would uh, consider coming back if the reserved list wasn't an issue. And I've had this opinion for a long time, but I think that they should announce it. So like the year's 2020 currently, say 2023. We're going to uh, abolish the reserve list. You have three years to get rid of your cards. We're going to start reprinting City of Traders and Dual Lands then. So that way you have time to get rid of your stuff. Like, there's three years worth of time to use it. But this does two things. One, stores can start selling legacy staples, which is good for Magic. It's good for Wizards. Wizards cares about selling singles. And you're going to get more legacy in your area, which is what we all really want. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care if my Underground Sea is revised Black Border. Uh, and yours is like uh, Legacy Masters 27. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care about that. Uh, I just want to play Dark Ritual against somebody. And if that takes my cards tanking in price, who cares? I was never going to sell them anyway. I just want to play Magic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I That point is something that I've iterated a few times in the cast where I would love to see them, like, say, yes, exactly. Like, starting X amount of years from now, we are repealing the reserve list and we reserve the right to, to print these. Uh, reserve list cards at which, what, at any point we want, any frequency that we want, and any border that they want. Uh, I would love to see that because I, I, and I'm also, I, I know I've said like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, uh, the one positive thing that of Star City Games dropping Legacy, uh, I don't have to spend any money there, which like I, I never really felt an affinity for like for Star City Games, regardless. So I had no issue with that, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Like if they, they, you know, they they run a business, and I respect the fact that they need to be able to make money selling singles. And I'm sure the reserve list is a huge uh, 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 anchor on that kind of uh, that part of their business. And I don't I don't fault them for you know doing what makes sense. There, we live in a capitalist society, and they got to do what they got to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. Go Continue. Ahead. I thought you were going to pause. Uh, I also think Star City. <laughs> This is going to sound bad. I hope they don't listen to this. They have somewhat of a bad business model in the fact that they might be selling uh, a White Border Tundra for, let's say, 220 You could go on TCG Player and buy a White Border Tundra for 150 160 These are made-up numbers, so don't try to correct me <laughs> in the comments. Oh, Brian, uh, they're, they're actually uh, 185 right now. And... Well, thank you, Patrick. <laughs> uh, so... But the thing is, like, their prices are just so bad where there's, like, no reason to ever buy a Tundra from Star City mm-hmm. Games. And then they complained that nobody was buying their cards. Yeah. Well, the people that bought your cards were forced to do it on site because they needed them for the event that day. And if you're going to set this metric that card singles are the only thing that matters, you have to go buy the market. And if you're not, if you're ignoring the market, you're doing yourself a disservice and anyone that comes to your events. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I'm not going to go to your site and buy a card for $60 more just so you can feel good about yourself. Right, right. Um, and I felt bad for the people buying them at the event for overpriced prices just because, like, they're forced into doing so. And I feel like part of that's you can't charge someone $25 for a card on site, but then your website sells it for 18 Like, I understand that you have want to stay consistent, but I think that in the end you should quit screwing over your customers and just, like, do the right thing and sell them for what the market is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. I do want to take a go back to a bit uh, point that I couldn't get in edgewise uh, was um, I agree. Reserve list should be repealed. Everyone knows that I've always taken that position. The problem is, though, um, you can't 
have this like announcement style. It just doesn't work. You know, the prices are going to be based off of what people expect, not necessarily what they are now. And as soon as they make that announcement, prices are going to be affected. It's almost like you you might as well not wait because the prices are going to change to what people expect it to be once those cards do get reprinted because it's now known information and they can prepare and they price it into the market as such. So I understand what you're saying, but I think it would be a, a slow trickle instead of a giant drop. Like it's not going to like, all right, reserve list 2023 next day, city of traders become $55. I think the next day they might become 180 uh two months later they might be 140 a year later they'll be 110 uh two years from now they'll be 80 and then three years they'll be 55 uh like that sort of thing i think is very realistic i don't think they're just going to drop down to 55 yeah i think the i think the best thing they could do is just not give an expectation just saying hey you know what uh we're giving us ourselves the option to reprint these cards we're not going to tell you when we're going to reprint them but we're just letting you know uh all bets are off if we want to reprint these cards we're going to do it why do you want to go to the wild west jerry because that way it doesn't cause an immediate panic. You all of a sudden have it turn into people still speculating, you know, do I want to sell my cards now in anticipation of the reprint? Or do I want to risk not having these staples that I need to play, you know, for what could be years? Like, just because they say they could reprint them doesn't mean they will reprint them anytime soon. Yeah. And I think that that uncertainty keeps the market afloat. If you give people perfect information, the market is going to reflect that perfect information. If you keep some variables a mystery, there's room in the market to to continue as is. I have a hot take for you, Jerry. Sure. Fuck the secondary market. <laughs> All right. Well, you have to have some <laughs> secondary market, though, for people to have trust and play. You're putting a lot of money into these decks. People but Wizards doesn't ha- care about that. They don't, but players do. And we could talk about what Wizards care about, or we can talk about how the real world operates. <laughs> like, I, like you said, you just want to have people to cast Black uh, Dark Ritual against. You know, if there's too much uncertainty in the game, you're not going to have those players because they're not going to take the risk of spending the money and putting a deck together. But you just countered argument yourself. If there's too much uncertainty, they don't want to play. This is your argument. But then you're saying you don't want the like uncertainty of knowing when a card's it's, going to get printed. It's a different type of uncertainty. Like having all right, so yes, you're right in that, you know, that in itself could drive some players away, but I'm talking about the players that are already in. Like that prevents people from buying into the format. The way you're say, saying keeps people from, you know, staying in the format. Would you like me to expand on that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't care enough, but you can continue. <laughs> I don't know if I want to open up the uh, the uh, reserve list can of worms right now. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to the scoops and poops because I gotta make my lunch for tomorrow. It's been a long day, so it is past eight thirty. It is past eight thirty. Uh, let's do scoops and poops, Jerry. Right. Oh, before we do that, uh, I want to just shout out our newest patrons this week because I I, oh, yes. I was not here last week. I uh, uh, had a um, a swearing in in my local union hall, so I had to go to that, um, which was a very a, a very exciting time. But I didn't get to, to uh, shout out newest patrons, Andrew Smith and Tanhauser five three one. Thank you so much for joining the uh, the Patreon. Um, you can uh, jump on the Discord, of course. You can find the link on the Patreon there. And uh, yeah, if you want to support the show, of course, you can go to patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. And we appreciate all the support in the new year. Uh, it helps us do a lot of cool stuff with the podcast, and uh, yeah, keep your eyes out for stuff, and and yeah, that's it. Uh, so let's get into scoops and poops, Jerry. 
Cool. Uh, I'm just going to say about the reserve list one more time. No, 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 no. (laughs) Aggressive. I like it. (laughs) Who are you scooping in top eight this week, Jerry? Uh, I'm going to scoop in uh, uh, finally a set uh, Theros for being a set that doesn't just break the legacy format wide open. Thank God. Like, can you imagine if Theros if Theros came out and it was just chock full of legacy playable cards? I think people would be pretty pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> so I just want to, you yeah. know, thank yeah, you, Theros. You're, you're probably going to be like the Theros the first time around, where you're not very memorable and people kind of forget about you a little bit. But you know what? It, it's yin and yang. We need bad sets to remind <laughs> us why good sets are good. <laughs> How could you forget <laughs> Elspeth dying? Yeah, in the I, underworld. I totally, I totally remember that. I still have dreams about it. <laughs> I think she was sacrificed to like an Emrakul trigger. <laughs> Probably. And uh, uh, any poops uh, this week, Jerry? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna poop on global warming because we had it was 70 degrees yesterday. Yeah, in that January. was uh, <laughs> that was really delightful. <laughs> I loved it. That was a little scary. I'm not gonna lie. And then it was 25 <laughs> degrees today. Uh, but yeah, so those are those are my scoops and poops. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, how about you, Bryant? Who are you scooping in top eight this week? All right, Patrick. <laughs> I uh, always want to hit the T because I, some people call you Brian and it bothers me. I don't even pay attention anymore. I, do. I get Ryan sometimes. Really? <laughs> That's <laughs> like, way There's off. two letters missing off that one. <laughs> uh, Brent, who are you scooping in? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so... I would like to give credit to uh, the writers at theepicsfirm.com. Over the last few weeks, there's been a bunch of really good articles. Uh, two of them are from me, so I'm not trying to give myself credit there. But <laughs> Brian uh, is currently the, the patting really, himself on the back right now. No, I can see him there's, <laughs> there's been a lot of good content by every writer. Uh, like, for example, the last Infernal Tutoring I thought was very good. Anthony Laverde had his final article with theepicsfirm.com. I thought that was great, featuring Adam Wallace, Elves of Fishing Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there were some other articles, uh, Ant versus TES 2020. I put a lot of time into that one. Please check it out. Uh, then there's like using the Epic Storm data where we discussed the new TES list and all the data behind the decisions and win rates and cool stuff like that if you're into numbers. And uh, then Alex McKinley wrote an article describing the new changes, which was really good. Uh, my slops would go to a good friend of the podcast, Jasper Gardner Birch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have, you, have you read his book? I have not, but I, I've heard that I make a couple cameos. Oh, good uh, yes, he sent me a copy of his first draft. It's it's quite delightful. Uh, but yes, there's some uh, some characters from the magic community in New England, and it's 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 like an onion. It's enjoyable on many levels. <laughs> I'm giving Jasper the uh, what is it called the poops because Jasper and I told you this. I'm getting tired of your Jerry memes. They're a little played out. <laughs> And, uh, you know what it is? Jasper Jasper needs a new template. I think it's the, the template's worn That's out. He needs is. a new a new Jerry Mean template. We need maybe we'll give him the turtle shell, the Jerry Me turtle shell. That's a good one. <laughs> awesome. I still like my Jerry Ling on the beach photo that I photoshopped. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no, that's. I don't a, think I've seen this. Private. He, Brian just used that for personal reasons. <laughs> oh, personally, I've sent only? it to you. It's like you on a beach and a, a like a man thing. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it's, it. It's not. It's not for public use. It's uh, not appropriate. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Pat, why don't you do your poops and scoops? All right. Scoops? I'm gonna. First of all, I'm gonna. Uh, I don't want to end on a sad note, but uh, I'm going to scoop in my dog, Max. Uh, he was uh, almost um, nine years old, 
and uh, we had we had to put him down today, so it was really sad uh, for me and the wife to go do that. And um, a break to the kids was obviously especially tough, but I just wanted to scoop him in because he was an awesome dog, and uh, uh, just a just a great animal to have. And and we're gonna we're gonna miss him a lot. And I just want to scoop him in on the podcast. And uh, and then for poops, uh, I don't know if you guys ever scroll over on your Facebook on your mobile app to the video tab. The watch tab on the bottom there. Um, but if you ever search for cringe TikTok compilations, uh, there are literally hundreds of them. And they're all like between five and ten minutes long. And they're just like a bunch of really cringy TikToks made by uh, mostly adults, which is uh, kind of s- disturbing. Um, but I can find myself wasting literally hours at a time watching these. It's uh, incredibly unhealthy, and I don't like the fact that it's so easy to find on my phone. Um, I, had, I did not know about them for my entire life until uh, maybe the last couple of months, and it's eaten away a lot of my, a lot of my waking hours. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poop on cringe TikTok compilations. But also, if you want to see them, they're pretty, pretty entertaining. You could just download TikTok. Uh, I don't want to do that because I actually don't like – I don't like things like TikTok or Snapchat. I tried Snapchat a couple times. I don't like it. Um, so I don't think – I do not use any of those either. Yeah, I, I don't think TikTok is for me. But watching train wreck people do train wreck things uh, all like back-to-back is – like I, I wouldn't want to have to go through a bunch of well-produced, uh, mildly funny TikToks to find the bad ones. The problem is that Facebook puts all the bad ones together and presents them to me in a, in a concise form, and it's uh, it's quite – it's something. It's it's quite something. And there are people who, like, are on it all the time, so they're just always making really, like, awkward things, and it's, 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 it's fascinating because I don't know anything about TikTok, but that is uh, pretty interesting. So, yeah. I have yeah. another place you can find train wrecks. Uh-oh. It, it's the uh, Leaving a Legacy Facebook group. Have you considered joining? <laughs> Hi-oh! Uh, awesome. I can't, I can't deal with cringe. Uh, dude, I couldn't watch Doug when I was younger because it got too much. It was too, it triggered too much of my social anxiety. Doug, like, like I the cannot, cartoon? <laughs> yeah, like I feel, like Doug I'm funny? very, yeah, like Doug funny. Like I am very empathetic to social awkwardness. And when I see someone being social awkward, like I feel terribly aghast. Like it, I feel it in my bones. Do you ever try to help them or you just point and stare? No, I'm the one needing help. Like it's it's gotten so bad that like I'm like like they have no shame. Like they're just out there and they they might not even know what they're doing. You must have but... a especially hard time at magic tournaments. <laughs> it's terrifying, <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> fantastic. All right. Uh, well, before we get out of here, Bryant, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Where are you putting out your content, man? Uh, at theepicsroom.com. You can also follow me at Bryant A. Cook on Twitter. And I would like to close this out by saying thank you for listening to the Eternal Glory podcast, episode 18. Uh, thank our sound producer or sound engineer, Justin Lutz. I don't know if he actually does his job because every week I hear, hey, Justin will edit this out, but he still has a job. So thank Wait, you, Justin, Justin hasn't Lutz. been editing that part out either. And uh, yeah. uh, I think those I think those are the sections that Justin rebels on, where he's like, "I know you guys told me to edit this out, but it's too good awesome. for me." Awesome, we'll cut. edit this out, Justin. You're fired. You're fired. And uh, Justin, uh, you can play us out to Eddie Money, Take Me Home Tonight. Ooh, that's a good song. <laughs> Take me home tonight. Like that song. He passed away since the last time I was on the podcast. Oh, that's true. Wow, that's sad. 
Yeah. Sad. Sad day. All right. Before we go, though, I just want to clarify my uh, reserve list argument. Oh, All no. Right? Oh, I don't God. have time for this, Jerry. <laughs> yes. No. So what it is is by declaring a certain date, everyone just panic sells, and you just have the collapse of the format because everyone and their mother is trying to get out the door first. But And that prevents people from staying in the format. But if you leave it as a mystery, yes, that'll deter people from buying into new decks because they're afraid of reprints, but it doesn't cause the panic sell, which could be a triggering event that crashes the game. All right, all right. Uh, I quit listening. Uh, can I right, <sighs> offer a, a different method? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Hear me out. Hear me out. I swear to God, this is Pochinko. This is uh, a giant wheel. Fill with ping it's pong balls. <laughs> you, you, each one has the name of a card on the reserve list, and four times a year you, you you pull out like half a dozen balls, and those are the cards that like in in a year can be reprinted or eighteen months can be reprinted. So like that's an even longer burn, right? Yeah, but what happens when you like reprint Plateau and then you don't reprint Underground Sea for like three years because it takes forever for that ball to be drawn? That's that's life, bro. What do you want? <laughs> I mean, maybe it would cause Plateau to see play in Legacy. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'm saying giant wheel of ping pong balls. Legacy Pochinko. Get it, get it. I don't think Pochinko <laughs> is what you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> you, is it? you drop the ball. No. You drop the ball down Plinko. all the... First of all, that's Plinko. Oh, what's Pochinko? Pochinko is nothing. <laughs> it's actually nothing, Jerry. <laughs> You made no, the one where you connect four, and then you win if you get four in a row, right? Oh, Pochinki is something. No, it's not. Oh, Pochinki's a city. Yeah. Um, this episode it- title is going to be called Pochinko. <laughs> it was going to be called Much Ado About Oko, but now it's just going to be Pochinko. Pochinki is a city in the district of Nizhny Novgorod Oblast in Russia. Yes, that's definitely what you're talking about, Jerry, right? That's Pochinko. Yep. Yeah. I just sent you guys the Jerry Beach photo. Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, well. let's get out of here. Follow the cast at LALMTG. Follow Jerry, me on Twitter. Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy. We're on Hipsters. Facebook group, Leaving a Legacy at HipsterTheCoast.com. Thanks to Justin. And we're so happy to be guests on uh, episode 18 of the Eternal Glory podcast. And Also, February 1st, Leaving a Legacy open in Acton. It's going to be awesome. Acton Mass. It's going to be super fun. Come and make sure Bryant doesn't win it again. We can't let that happen. True story. <laughs> but I mean, I only have four top eights out of <laughs> three top eights out of the four I've been to. That's pretty good. We can't let it happen. Uh, so I believe Anthony is beating you. Is he four for four? Uh, I am the trophy leader. We both yeah, were but three I bo- for four, but I did it last. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was great to have you, man. Yeah, thank you. Also, oh God, I just Pat- saw the photo. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's going to haunt my dreams. <laughs> Pat, not making this up. Richard Pochinko was a notable Canadian clown trainer Jerry, who developed a Jerry. new style of mask and clown performance. This picture, known as the Pochinko like, technique. Jerry, this guy looks like Mr. Pochinko. Like I imagine, this is what he looked like. This is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That is 100 men right there. You can see his whole dick and balls in the Speedo, too. That is, that is a lot. That is a lot. Oh, that's never seeing public Oh, this is, this is going to be my desktop background. It's, uh, it's actually Jasper's new meme template. <laughs> this is how Jerry looks at Grizzlebrand. 
<laughs> Come here, Mr. Daddy. Come here, Daddy Hook Hands. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, that's it. That's all we got for this week, guys. We're going to catch you all next week. I hate to sleep alone